Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. So this morning we have uh, the joy of having the lovely Beck Gelding sharing with us. Yay! Why don't you come and join us, Beck? Now, some of, some of you might not know Beck, so uh, for those who don't know you, yes. um, who's in your house? In my house is my lovely husband, Graham, and our two children, primary age children, Alana and Oliver. Excellent. Um, and how long have you guys been at Northridge? I think it's almost been two years, or it's coming on two years. It's, it's hard with COVID. <laughs> it was kind of the blank year, wasn't yeah, it? <laughs> yeah. Um, now I'm jumping this one on you, so okay. uh, if you need a second, that's okay. But uh, I was just wondering if there's something that you feel like God's been teaching you or growing you in in the last little while. In the last little, yeah, you did put me on the spot, didn't you? Um, in the last little while, um, I've really been actually enjoying discussing um, scripture and discussing, diff- I've been getting into um, some podcasts about the Old Testament and different ways of looking at it. Um, and I've really valued discussion with others around that. So it's not just been me reading it. I've been like reading and then going, hey, I found this. And they've been saying, oh. So I really value that. Well, that nicely leads on to what I was going to say. Oh. <laughs> um, Beck and I have been catching up just uh, um, occasionally or regularly, actually, um, and just chatting through Scripture. And one of the things that has really um, I've loved as I've chatted with her is just her love for Scripture, just this deep love. And um, I'm not the an overly studious person, but I love chatting with Beck because she's like, oh, and then I read this book and that book, and then I went here, and I'm like, oh, I like those people. Tell me more. Um, but just, you know, it just reminded me how wonderful it is as we gather. I know uh, life group, you know, it's life groups. I know some people meet in triplets. I know, you know, in various different ways, but how precious it is to talk and share about scriptures and find people who are excited about scripture and who are just wanting more of scripture to increase that hunger. And um, so I'm really excited to hear you share this morning. Uh, Why don't we pray for Beck? Um, But what I'd love us to do is just kind of maybe put one hand on ourselves, on our hearts. And um, it seems like the word this morning is open. Uh, It's come up a few times, and I know it's coming up again. Um, And so God clearly is wanting to do something in us. Um, So let's pray for open hearts, um, and I'll pray for Beck as well. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you are always moving. You're always working. You're always drawing things together. And Father, we pray this morning, Lord, that you would use Beck to come and bring your word. Lord, you have things and treasures that you want to plant in us, things you want to grow in us. And Father, we say, yes, we're open to hear your words through Beck this morning. I just pray, Lord, for all that she's prepared. And we just pray for those treasures, Lord, that you would bring the right ones to mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, honey. It's a real privilege to be here. Um, I 
Easter seems like quite a while ago, especially because we've just had the school holidays. Time's really stretched. But two weeks ago, we had Easter. And on the 13th of May would be 40 days from Easter, which is when the Ascension happened. So we're going to look at what actually is, was going on in Scripture that first Easter, when Jesus had risen, when he was appearing to his disciples um, before he ascended into heaven. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read scriptures that I'm familiar with, I mean, these are not obscure scriptures. We probably read them at least every year. Um, sometimes when we read familiar scriptures, we gloss over some of the little details. We sort of push into, oh, yes, these are the words that Jesus said. They're in red, so they stick out. But uh, the actual details, especially of locations of where things happened, I don't know about you, I just used to gloss over that. I was like, oh, yeah. But it actually leads us to missing out on so much more of the story that is in the scriptures. For example, I used to think until very recently that, you know, so he rises from the dead and he appears to all these people and then there's the Great Commission, um, all authorities on earth has been given to you, go make disciples and surely I'll be with you till the very end of the age. And then I just imagined him wafting up into the clouds and that's, that's the end of the story. But actually, that event, the Great Commission, happened at a completely different time to the Ascension, in a completely different place, probably a week apart. And so when I first heard that, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't really understand. I've been reading these gospel, they're all siloed, they're all these little narratives, well, not little, but they're all narratives of Jesus's life, but they're not a chronological story. So this morning, we're going to start with a chronological story of that first Easter, we're going to cover those 40 days. And to really bring it home for us, I wanted to talk about the locations relative to Thornley. So if Jerusalem was Thornley, and I actually in Google Maps put Northridge, um, then there's three different places that um, come up in the story that I'll just brief, brief us on. The first is Emmaus. Now, Emmaus doesn't appear any other time in the Bible. It's just this one little thing where two disciples are going off to Emmaus. That's the equivalent of walking west to Kellyville, Norwest. I don't know what was out there, but that's where they were headed. Um, the other location that comes up is at the end, the ascension happens in Bethany. Now, Bethany is a quite a short walk. It's like Wurunga, but it's east. That's east. I have to do it opposite. Uh, the other main place is not a place, but actually a region, which is Galilee. And Galilee from Northridge is further than the central coast, but not as far as Newcastle. It's like Lake Macquarie region. So that's quite a fair distance. And it took probably five or six days to walk to get there. Now, Jesus actually spent 80% of his ministry up in that region. Up, Think of Lake Macquarie. But the Sea of Galilee is actually much smaller than Lake Macquarie. So there's more land, less water, but it's that far away. Um, but he did actually come back to Jerusalem three times a year for the different festivals. So that route of going Galilee to Jerusalem was fairly familiar, but mainly all of the ministry that he did was up in that Galilee region. Okay, so you're ready for the story? We start at the Last Supper, and Jesus predicts that, oh, I should actually state before I start, I'm not going to say, and this part's from John and this part's from Luke, but just as an overall, if you want to go and search the scriptures afterwards, um, 
the, the references to Galilee are mainly in Matthew and Mark. The, Luke only focuses on Jerusalem, and John does a bit of both. Okay, that's the only proviso. So, we're at the Last Supper. Jesus predicts um, Peter is going to betray him. He says, yeah, they're going strike the to uh, strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. After I've risen, go ahead and meet me in Gal- Galilee. So go ahead and walk that distance and meet me up back where it started. Then we know Jesus is arrested, he's crucified, he's buried, he rises again. And at the tomb, when um, Mary Magdalene and the other women see him, firstly, an angel appears and says, he's not here, he's risen. Go and tell the brothers to meet him up in Galilee. Take that journey, go up to Galilee. And in one of the gospels, Jesus also appears and says, tell the others to meet me in Galilee. Then, in another account, two disciples hear this story. They're a bit confused. Some, of the, um, some say that the, the women weren't understood or uh, weren't believed because it just seemed crazy. And so these two disciples think, I'm going to head to Emmaus. I don't know why, but I'm going to walk out to Thorn, um, Kellyville, Norwest. And on that road, they are talking about... Uh, everything that's happened. They're confused, they're emotional, and Jesus comes alongside them, but they don't recognize him as Jesus. And that he's like, what's going on? And, and they're like, haven't you heard? Like, this is, what's been going, this is what's been happening. And then Jesus, beginning with Moses and the prophets, opens the scriptures to them to explain why this had to happen. And then when they get to Emmaus, they sit down, they start to have a meal. He breaks the bread and he gives it to them. And then they're like, and it says, their eyes were opened and they recognized it as Jesus. And just when they recognized, he disappears. And they're like, oh. And my favorite, it's actually the road to Emmaus story is one of my favorites in scripture. But I love this verse. They say, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road? and opened the scriptures to us. When's the last time you got heartburn from reading scripture? Love it. Uh, So then they run back to tell everybody else, it's true, he has risen. Um, We met him, he opened the scriptures to us. And while they're still explaining, we just met Jesus, in that room back in Jerusalem, uh, Jesus walks in the room. And the first thing he says is, peace be with you, because it would be kind of crazy and a little bit scary if the reason Jesus walked into the room. It's a bit like when you get the call from the school. You know when they're like, hi, it's such and such school. Your child's fine. Like in that first breath. Anyway, um, so Jesus walks in the room. One of the accounts, he says, as my father has sent me, I'm sending you. And he breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. So the disciples didn't have to wait to Pentecost to receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus actually breathed on them, gave them the Holy Spirit. And that makes sense when you think about they've just spent three years of their lives side by side with the physical Jesus with them, speaking God's words and instructions over their life. And now he's gone. He's not going to be with them every day. Now they need to learn to hear from God themselves. They need, this is almost like a training period where the teacher's going to be coming in and out And now they've got to be learning to listen for themselves, for the Holy Spirit. 
Another account says this same opening, that he again opened the scriptures. He opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures, all of the Old Testament, why everything happened, had to happen the way that it has happened. Now, I don't know then what happened in that next week. I imagine there was a lot of chatter, a lot of what just happened, a lot of processing, they're learning to hear the Holy Spirit. Thomas, he wasn't there that first night. He's not so sure. The following week, they're all still in Jerusalem. No one's talked about going to Galilee, so I don't know what's going on there. But they're all still in Jerusalem. Um, Jesus comes again for Thomas. Thomas, here's my hands. Believe. Blessed are those who haven't even seen, and they'll believe. Um, And then at that point, well, sometime after that point, they must have been like, oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit's been reminding us. Jesus has maybe said it again. We need to go back to Galilee. We need to go back to where it all started, where he called us, where um, he did all of the miracles. We need to go back. And if you've ever had a friend um, pass away, go be with Jesus, um, in that morning period, don't you just go back over the old photos, go back over the old messages that they have written. It's a way of processing the grief, I think. And I do believe that the disciples would have been grieving. Um, not that Jesus has, is dead forever. He's obviously risen. But they're still grieving that season of their life. They've had this time with him, walking with them for three years. And that season is now over. It's a new, exciting season, but there's still that time of processing the grief. And so as they head back to Galilee, I imagine especially Peter would be feeling all sorts of emotions. He's not yet been reinstated because that hasn't happened. That's coming. Uh, spoiler. Um, but he would have been feeling, yeah, all sorts of things. So they, there was an anticipation of getting to Galilee. When, uh, when they get there, I imagine that they're like, okay, so you've told us to come here. Nothing happens. And Peter goes, no, I'm going fishing. So he goes fishing. He brings his disciples the other fishermen disciples, it actually mentions the names of the people that went fishing. It wasn't all of them because not all the disciples were fishermen. But anyway, they go fishing. Um, they didn't catch anything. And then someone on the shore that they don't recognize says, throw your nets over the other side. I don't know why at that point they didn't go, hang on, Jesus once did this too. But anyway, they don't recognize him. They catch miraculous fish. John says, hey, that's the Lord. Peter suddenly realizes it is. He had his shirt off. He puts his shirt back on just to dive into the water. They, get, they bring all the fish in, they have, um, and there's Jesus. Someone stopped to count that there was 153 fish. Again, a detail. I don't even know why it's in there, but it must be important. Uh, and then Jesus says, come and have breakfast with me. He pulls Peter aside, and they have that lovely conversation. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? At the end of that, follow me. It's an exact replica of the story that's in, or not a replica, but it's in Matthew when they're first called to come and follow Jesus and he does a miraculous cache of fish. While they're in Galilee, that is when the Great Commission happens. Um, And it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. We don't know what the mountain was, but the fact that it's the mountain kind of implies that it's, of course, it's the mountain. It's the mountain. 
you know, we all know where it is. We don't need to say what it is. So it could have been the mountain where he did the um, Sermon on the Mount or where he transfigured. There's a lot of mountain action in the Gospels. So I'll leave that for you and the Lord to decide where you think that happened. Uh, But it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They've come all the way from Jerusalem. They're on a mountain in Galilee, and some of them are still doubting. And you know what? He still goes ahead and commissions all of them anyway. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Son, uh, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm pretty sure the actual sermon or message he gave was more than three verses. And I wish someone had written more of it down, but I guess these are the crux of the message and that's why we have it left written down. And so that's the end of stuff that happened up in Galilee. And so from there, they've done another journey back to Jerusalem, another five or six day walk. But I can imagine this one is quite different. This one, they have a renewed focus, a renewed hope, a renewed mission that they need to go and share this message of Jesus with um, the others. So in the end of Acts and the start, oh, I wasn't going to mention where it was from. Anyway, um, so then we've got, uh, starting from Acts 1, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus had begun to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So the Holy Spirit is teaching them throughout this whole um, period. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit." So it says, do not leave Jerusalem. And in one of the accounts, it says, stay in Jerusalem. But clearly, they didn't stay. They went up to Galilee. So how does that fit? Well, some commentators actually think when they're saying stay in Jerusalem, they're saying settle in Jerusalem. Make Jerusalem your base from now on. You've been operating out of Galilee. We've all been ministering up there. But from now on, Jerusalem's going to be home. Uh, And of course, we know that Pentecost happens in Jerusalem. They needed to be there for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him. So we know that this is then at Bethany. So Bethany is the Mount of Olives, which is like Wurunga, a short walk away. Uh, And they say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? I love that question because every time I read it, I think, oh, they just don't get it, do they? Like they think that all of this is about Jesus bringing an actual kingdom to like a, a physical earthly kingdom, but it's a, it's a spiritual kingdom that he's talking about. Uh, and yet Jesus doesn't sigh and do what I just did. Um, he actually responds, it's not for you to know. 
the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. After this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and hid, they hid him in a cloud from their sight. Uh, and then the disciples come back from Bethany. It's quite a short walk. Uh, there's 120 of them. They're praying. They're worshipping. Peter takes the lead um, to, to, to really lead this new uh, body of believers. Um, and he's quoting scripture, left, right, and center, because he's, he's had his mind opened to the scriptures. Um, and then we hit Pentecost. So Pentecost is still, from where we are right now, five weeks away. And I know there's teachers in the audience are like, oh, term two, week five. That's, imagine all the things you've got to do between now and then. Um, so there's two, there's two things that God really highlighted me to me in this story. The, the first one is um, of what he actually, the message that he brought, is receive when John breathed on, not John, in John, when Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Because they, like I said, they needed to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit now as the, the words that they would hear from God. Uh, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the Holy Spirit had already been active throughout history, even in Jesus's, um, when Jesus was a baby, the Holy Spirit came upon Simeon. Um, and so it's not a foreign thing that the Holy Spirit would come upon people. But obviously for this period, the Holy Spirit's poured out on the disciples because he needed to get them ready for the power that was coming, for the power, the, the day when the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out on all people. Uh, and the second thing was this whole opening their minds to understand the scripture. So that word opened... It happened three times in that one passage. So their eyes were opened to see Jesus. It says that he opened, uh, their hearts were um, burned as he opened the scriptures to us. And then later on in that same account, it says that um, he opened their minds to understand scripture. And the word opened there um, is dianoigo. And the normal word, uh, the Greek word for opened, is just noigo. So this has got this extra dia bit at the start. Uh, and it's only used eight times in the New Testament. But the idea is that it's not just opened. It's like thoroughly opened. It's like it can't be closed again. So one of the instances is when a, a firstborn baby opens the womb. Some things that are opened cannot be closed again. Uh, the other time, uh, two, two times in Mark, it's used, you know that miracle where Jesus pops his fingers in the guy's ear and then puts his finger on his tongue, it just sounds weird, puts a finger on his tongue and says, be opened, that's this word, and then it says that the, um, his ears and his mouth were opened. Uh, but the author of Luke and Acts uses it the most, and so he uses it to talk about having their eyes opened to recognize Jesus, having the scriptures opened having um, their minds opened to understand the scriptures. And then in Acts, it talks about Lydia having her heart opened to receive um, salvation and uh, the Peter opening the scriptures in the same way. And 
this is what actually God put on my heart that I think he wants to do today. There's so much more in scripture that he wants all of us to discover. Um, And he's a really good teacher. And really good teachers know what their students need. But he really, I just really feel he wants us to ask questions. Because in order to learn, good teachers know that uh, sometimes the questions, when uh, when students ask questions, it helps the student sometimes more than the teacher. Because the teacher probably already knows what they do and don't already know. But asking questions helps the learner, helps us know, helps us discover what it is that God's trying to say. Um, And like I said, the very last thing the disciples ask Jesus is a question. So he must have been encouraging this asking of questions all the way through his ministry. And so I'm just going to end on one question that this whole study brought me to, which was, why did you wait 40 days, God? Like, like you could have... You could have risen and been risen for a period. You could have risen and then disappeared at Pentecost or, or later. Like, why, why, did, why was it 40? And what came up was, as I prayed um, and meditated on the scriptures, well, what else happened? What else did Jesus do for 40 days? Well, okay, he was, he was tempted by the devil. I was like, oh, hang on. That's at the start of his ministry. And this is at the end of his ministry. And what happened just before the 40 days when he was tempted? He was baptized. Also, baptism is like dying and rising again. Oh, at the end, you died and rose again. So what about what you were learning in that time when, when you were being tested by the devil? What, what were the types of things that that story... Um, says and how does that relate to these last 40 days i'm not going to go into it but there were so many for example when um the devil says um this authority and splendor it's all mine i can give it to whoever i want jesus actually when he comes against that doesn't say no devil you're not wrong you're not right this isn't yours he doesn't um disagree with the the devil's statement there he just says No, I'm to worship the Lord only. And yet at the end, Jesus' all authority on heaven and earth is mine. The the verse at the start in um, when he offers him, he must have been hungry in the desert, offers him turn these stones into bread. And Jesus' response, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so I think that's probably a good place to leave it. But, yeah, Rob, why don't you come up and we'll pray. Yeah. Actually, Braden, would you mind just coming and lead us just in a song? We're going to, um, I just felt like, Beck, thank you so much. It stirs, I don't know about you, it stirs in my heart just a desire to just say, Jesus, you're amazing. So why don't we just stand for a moment? We're just going to worship him. And then we're going to ask the Holy Spirit just to come and lead us as we pray and place on our hearts.
as we're reminded by Beck about the way that you came and you destroyed the work of the devil and you took back the keys to the kingdom that all authority on the heaven and earth is now yours and we worship you today and Lord as we think about your disciples and the way that you opened their hearts and we asked and their minds. We ask that you would come and do that now by your Spirit. You would open our hearts and our minds. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you to come. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We honor you. We worship you. Thank you, Lord. Let's just wait for him. Let it come. Let it come. More, Lord. Thank you, Lord. More, Lord Jesus. You may just want to place your hands out in front of you just as a sign of, of receiving what he wants to bring us this morning. 
or may you just want to place a hand on your heart. reminded of those words again of Jesus be opened be opened Lord let our hearts be open to you really got a sense to pray for this particular group of people some of you I know at the moment are studying uh, doing some theological study and I really felt like the Lord wanted to touch you specifically this morning so if, if that's you can I just get you just to raise your hand in the air we're not, not going to embarrass you or show you off but just um, wanted to particularly just ask that the Spirit would come and just touch you and actually open your hearts not just your minds that he would increase a revelation upon you this morning. So, Lord, we ask that you would just pour your revelation out now on these folk, Lord, who are searching the Scriptures, choosing to learn. Lord, we ask that you would release their minds and their hearts now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. We pray for a deeper revelation. We pray for a passion for your word just to bubble up in them. Lord, we ask that you would bring more more Lord we know you have more for us we know that your word is a never ending fountain of blessing thank you Lord I also got a sense to pray for those who perhaps have just started to read maybe you're fairly new to all of this and you're just beginning to read the Bible a bit more for yourself and Make that a regular part of your a daily habit. And you know what fuels us often is just a love, a love for the Scriptures. And I just wanted to pray that for you this morning. If you know that's something you're just beginning to get into and perhaps that you've just wanted more of, let's just ask. We can, we can pray that for all of ourselves, but particularly for those of you who just, perhaps it's early days. Lord, we ask that you would... Um, you would enlarge our hearts. You give us a love. A love for your word, Lord. That your, your word would burn in our hearts. And Lord, I pray that it would draw us back there again and again. Whether it's our, our morning or whatever time of the day it is we take to just spend with you and just to read your word. Lord, create a, a love affair in our hearts with your word. Thank you, Lord.